United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. What's happening in China, clearly impacting the presidential race, the politics of America. What's happening in China, though, having a dramatic impact on Southeast Asia as well, coronavirus and otherwise. To talk about that, one of the newest team members at the U.S. Institute of Peace, Brian Harding, joins us here on The Morning Briefing. Brian, good morning. How are you? Good. Good to be with you. Good to speak with you. Uh, and congratulations on the new post. You're joining a fine organization, and you're already... Um, you're already writing pieces that, 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 that are catching our eyes. Uh, one post you made a few weeks back asked the rhetorical question, is coronavirus making Southeast Asia more authoritarian? Uh, what's the answer to that question? Well, it's certainly providing opportunities for would-be authoritarian leaders who are presiding over at least nominally democracies uh, to take action to consolidate more power. Um, and this isn't a, just uh, a just happening in Southeast Asia, elsewhere, but this is the region I pay attention to. So specifically in Cambodia, Thailand, the Philippines, this emergency time is allowing would-be authoritarian leaders to preside over these nominal democracies uh, um, that are trending in worrying directions uh, to seize power, uh, tamp, down, tamp down freedom of speech and criticism. Um, and uh, uh, so there's no question that they're Leaders like that are using the current situation to their advantage. There's also a narrative out there that somehow authoritarian governments are better at handling crises like this pandemic. Um, and that's certainly the message that China's been putting out in Southeast Asia. And the, uh, those in the region also don't, uh, you know, can't ignore what's happening in the United States. And then within the region, um, the larger democracies, Indonesia and the Philippines, are having some of the most trouble in some of the more authoritarian-leaning countries, Vietnam, uh, um, Singapore, um, have done better. But the picture is much more complex. So in Asia, some of the most vibrant democracies, Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, have gotten a great handle over this. So I think it's a totally false narrative, but it's certainly one that China is playing up. Um, and coronavirus is just the latest um, example of U.S.-China competition in Southeast Asia, which has really intensified across the full range of issues uh, in recent years. Yeah, all this happens with that backdrop, Brian, of you know, rising tensions over the South China Sea. Um, it feels like that issue is being masked by coronavirus to a degree, but it's very relevant. Yeah, and, and Southeast Asia and the South China Sea have really uh, hit the hit the international news radar over the last week. Um, certainly, the South China Sea is a flashpoint between the United States and China. Um, just to you know, take a step back, uh, you know, China claims about eighty percent of the South China Sea uh, within a so-called nine-dash line that dips as far as a 1,000 nautical miles away from China's coast, uh, reaching up to within 50 nautical miles of Malaysia. Uh, if you look at, look at a map, it's, it can be quite confusing. Now, China claims this, uh, the, this area, and it's not clear about what exactly they claim, whether it's waters or islands or features, uh, but it's clear that it's based on, quote, historic rights, uh, not international law. Uh, and uh, international in an arbitral tribunal under the UN Convention of the, Le of the Law of the Sea four years ago declared that China's claims were unlawful. Um, the United States has uh, quietly agreed with that assessment. But uh, last week, Secretary Pompeo put out a pretty bold statement, very clearly saying that the United States finds uh, China's claims in the South China Sea to be unlawful. 
again, I think a lot of what he said has largely been consistent with U.S. policy. And it's also just patently obvious, um, but has really brought attention to the issue. The intent is to give Southeast Asian partners, particularly the claimants, uh, Philippines, Vietnam, Brunei, and Malaysia, uh, some diplomatic and legal support from the United States. But there's also concerns in Southeast Asia that perhaps the, the South China Sea is becoming a flashpoint that might lead to direct confront, uh, confrontation between the United States and China. And as much as the region is concerned about China's actions in the South China Sea, concerned about international law, they certainly don't want a war between the United States and China in their region. Yeah, this competition in the Indo-Pacific between China and the U.S. seems to be playing out most intensely in Southeast Asia. And you've used the phrase swing states of Asia to describe that part of our world. What's that mean? So I think uh, that was me perhaps uh, describing it a bit crudely. Uh, but uh, if you look at Asia, think about the broader region as a, as a chessboard, uh, an electoral map, if you will, in the context crudely of U.S.-China competition, Southeast Asia are the swing states. Uh, these are 10 very diverse countries. You have uh, almost 300 million people in Indonesia, 300,000 people in Brunei, a one-party system in Vietnam, a vibrant democracy in the Philippines. Um, uh, on every level, they're diverse, but collectively they, they, they've become uh, a, a pretty impressive block under the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. Basically, the choices that these countries make on uh, everything from uh, trade policy to uh, governance to uh, their technological backbone to how they deal with the United States and China ultimately is going to have a lot to, to, a major impact on how the broader region uh, integrates, doesn't integrate. Um, And so these 10 countries uh, have really uh, managed to gain uh, an incredible amount of agency of their own uh, in this broader competition. And of course, it's not just about the United States and China. Southeast Asian countries want all major outside powers involved in the region, Japan, India, European Union, uh, Australia. And they would like to wrap us all together in, uh, in meetings and norm-shaping activities uh, to keep us on our best behavior. So Southeast Asia, uh, um, they know they're in the middle of between giants, uh, and, and they're playing an active role to try to uh, um, uh, create a region that, that's stable uh, and prosperous itself. Speaking with Brian Harding, the U.S. Institute of Peace senior expert on South Asia, so there is this intrinsic, almost systemic you know, distrust of China in Southeast Asia, but it seems like the U.S. is increasingly seen as disruptive there, and there's going to be ramifications of that. Yeah, so to be clear, there, there are deep-seated concerns in Southeast Asia about China, and particularly China's uh, security engagement. Uh, and China's activities in the South China Sea, um, the building of uh, three artificial islands and turning them into fortified military bases. I mean, this is highly objectionable to Southeast Asian neighbors. But the reality is they also want a they want to have their cake and eat it, too, in a sense. Uh, they want as strong an economic relationship with China as possible. Um, and they, while they want the United States engaged, uh, um, they don't want us uh, to ratchet tensions too high. With China, and ultimately, you know, the worst case scenario for Southeast Asian countries, these smaller countries, is to be forced to choose between the United States and China. Um, and increasingly, they're worried that they're going to have to be uh, have to make some of those uh, choices. Um, and and that's just something a position that they don't want to be in. Uh, while they appreciate uh, the United States being around, uh, there are some concerns about the confrontational approach and the rhetoric right now in U.S.-China relations. If we go farther out to the Pacific Islands region, you're arguing 
it's become a new battleground for influence in, in the context of a rising China. Why so? Yeah, so U.S.-China competition is certainly global in scope. I mean, take a look just at Secretary Pompeo's current trip to Europe. Uh, in Europe, it's a, it's a part of the equation. But certainly, as we we're saying, Southeast Asia is really the, the fulcrum of regional competition. Uh, and then elsewhere in the Indo-Pacific, uh, that competition is happening as well, be it South Asia or the Pacific Islands region. You know, this is a vast region uh, of, of small states um, uh, where that really hasn't ver- been on Washington radar very much since 1945 and the end of the Pacific War. But it's a region uh, over the last 10 years where interest in Washington ha- has, has ramped up. Um, and a lot of it has to do with China. Uh, of course, we, we must say with the Pacific Islands region that that. Uh, um, certainly that the impacts of climate change are being felt most intensely um, in the Pacific Islands as well. And that's another major reason why the, reason why the United States ought to be um, engaged. But in the China context, uh, China has ramped up its engagement um, uh, into a bit of a vacuum. Um, and even Australia and New Zealand, our close partners who are neighbors, uh, had really taken their eye off the ball uh, a bit. And China's increasing interest in the region, and I think their interest is, is they have multiple interests, um, um, they have interest in resources. They have interest um, in isolating Taiwan, where Taiwan still has four of their uh, diplomatic allies. Uh, they have interest in just uh, competing with the United States uh, and its allies. So everybody's stepping up a bit um, of note. And I think there's been a rising interest and engagement from uh, the Trump administration and also members of Congress. Um, actually, just in a couple hours at nine o'clock this morning, we'll have two members of Congress at USIP. Uh, who recently created a Pacific Islands caucus on the Hill. So Representative Yoho from Florida, Representative Case from Hawaii, while speaking with uh, USIP President and CEO Nancy Lindborg uh, about why the United States has deep interests uh, in the Pacific Islands region. Uh, these are small, scattered states, uh, but there are a lot of them, and it's a lot of uh, the Earth's surface, uh, and we need to be more engaged. And they're closely watching our campaign, our election throughout Southeast Asia. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, the uh, uh, U.S. politics are never dull, uh, and what happens in the United States has real impact. Um, but I don't think we're going, uh, you know, the, the broader context of U.S.-China competition um, is, is not going away. Uh, you can imagine a different approach in a potential Biden administration, uh, but I think the smaller countries of Southeast Asia and the Pacific uh, realize that U.S.-China competition is here to stay, um, and they're trying to do their best to navigate it and have agency of their own. Brian Harding is senior expert, a senior expert on South Asia for the USIP. Um, and we appreciate your time, Brian. You have a good day. My pleasure. Anytime. Very good analysis from Brian Harding on this uh, next era of U.S. Pacific Islands and Southeast Asia engagement. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.